0: Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert kennedy And this is episode 42, The Meaning of Life. Yes! That's right. Uh, hey, Brian, question. Uh, what happens when you're almost an astronaut? And what comes next? Yeah, uh, I didn't have any idea. Now I do, and I'm <laughs> fucking inspired by it. Man, our guest today is Dr. Cyan Proctor. Uh, she's an African-American explorer yeah, put that on your resume.
1: GeoExplorer, explorer, uh-huh.
0: Scientist, it. STEM communicator, and uh, almost an astronaut. Uh, we're going to dig into that. She has lived in training habitats across the world. Uh, you're welcome, America. Uh, she has been on TV. Uh, and today she's with us on the mic explaining how we can get more women and more people of color into space one way or another. Because it turns out uh, astronauts are not the only way.
1: No, you don't have to be only a military jet pilot anymore.
0: Right, the right stuff was great. Thanks. However, let's open this bitch up.
1: Yeah, pretty right? awesome. This was super uh fun and just very like inspirational. Yeah. And makes you want to like never give up on your dreams.
0: Right, ever again. <laughs> it's basically like watching the greatest showman over and over and over.
1: Right, right, right. Which I, of course, have definitely watched and listened to the soundtrack of
0: <laughs> perfect. All right. Let's go talk to Dr. Proctor. Let's do it. Our guest today is Dr. Cyan Proctor, and together we're going to discuss the topic, what happens when you're almost an astronaut, and what comes next. <laughs> uh, Dr. Proctor, welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: We are thrilled to have you here. Let us uh, just get going with a quick, uh, who are you and, and what, you, what do you do?
2: I am Dr. Cyan Proctor. I am a geoscience professor at South Mountain Community College in Phoenix, Arizona. So I t- I teach geology classes, planetary science classes, and sustainability classes. And I've been a full time pro- professor for 19 years.
0: Wow, that's impressive. Same same as me. Nope, same not story. the same oh, as you. Ryan. Nope. nope. Once <laughs> it, once again, not even he close. always tries this. Not even close, champ.
1: Awesome. I, can I ask? So uh, maybe we'll get into this. But how, what does it mean to be
0: an almost astronaut? Yeah, we're, that's the point. We're okay, gonna get we're gonna to that, get into it. Got it got, yeah. it. got it. got it. Got oh, it. Yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah, hold your pants. Sure. <clears throat> got it. Got it. Got it.
1: Cool. Well, welcome. We're very happy to have you. Uh, like we said, um, uh, so we're gonna get our conversation going. What we like to do here, um, doctor, is uh, we number one realize that uh, everything is screwed and we need to help fix it, and um, mm-hmm. we bring people like you on board, uh, to, to tell all of our listeners uh specific things uh, that that they and we. Can do to to uh, make a dent in the universe. So we'll set up some context and then and then figure out specifically what, how, why, mm-hmm. if we can if mm-hmm. we can help.
0: <laughs> Big fans of action oriented questions here. Yeah, sounds uh, great. Yeah. So, uh, doctor, we do start with uh, one important question uh, instead of saying, uh, "Doctor, tell us your whole life story as as rich uh, as I'm sure that is." Uh, we like to pivot a little bit and ask, "Doctor." Why are you vital to the survival of the species?
2: (laughs) Well, (laughs) I am vital to the survival of the species because I care.
1: Oh, I like it. Nice.
2: I take the time to be engaged with my world around me. And basically, I call myself a geo explorer. That means that I go out and I explore our world from a science or geoscience perspective. And I look. For ways in which I can communicate the things that are happening around our world to uh, the next generation and inspire them to become aware and involved. So I'm a science communicator.
0: I love that. You're so Captain Planet, uh, more <laughs> or <laughs> pretty less? Pretty much. You're, you're the actual Captain <laughs> Planet. Actual Captain Planet. Uh, doctor, well, we appreciate that perspective and, and having people that care uh, is obviously pretty, pretty vital. All right, so we're gonna just set up a little uh, context for for today. Um, please, uh, by all means, uh, jump in, correct us. Whatever. Oh, I will <laughs> R- run, a, yeah. run away. That's perfect. Well, like Thank that. you. That that works best for us. Again, we're we're trying to stand in for our audience who's you know uh, on the subway or riding a bike or fucking texting and driving or something like that. Um, so they they don't have the chance to to Google all these things or or dig in. So this is our chance to make sure we're all on the same page before we really dig in today. So I want to talk a little bit about how someone gets picked to be an astronaut. Oh my god, so, I'm excited. Uh, nope, Brian, don't just. Oh. I, I was just excited. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Yep. So here's how we pick the first ones, right? Uh, also, I saw First Man recently. Was it good? good? I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, you know, they chose, well, it doesn't spoil anything. I mean, I don't think most people really know his life story that well, which is the point of making a mm-hmm. movie that was based on the book, which is like, boy, that guy went through some shit. And also, turns out science and sp- space is really hard. Right. Yeah, ah, you know, uh, really hard. It's one thing to watch Apollo 13, which is also so important and to understand. But to get to where they got to Apollo 13 was, uh. was crazy. So I think they, I thought they took a really interesting perspective with the way they told it, which was like, it was a hell of a thing to even get to that place. Um, Yeah.
2: And I'm looking forward to seeing it. But what I want to say is now that you bring up Neil Armstrong, that's where it all Mm -hmm. began for me. I was born on Guam because my father worked for a NASA contractor during the Apollo missions. And I literally grew up with Neil Armstrong's autograph to my father on his office wall as a kid and all these Whoa, other wow. Apollo certificates. Um, so my, oh my father God. was a hidden figure.
0: <sighs> oh, that is hold on. insane. This all is right. Insane. We're going to need a little more detail before yeah. we even do the whole context bullshit. Let's Whoa. talk a little bit about uh, what were you doing it now? We're just going to do the whole, tell us your life story <laughs> thing, I guess. So what, what were you guys doing in Guam? What did your, what did your parents do? Don't want to leave your mom out of this. Uh, and what was, what was, that life i i i'm i want to hear this is fascinating so
2: uh, my father uh was really smart but didn't wasn't able to go to college he basically took a test a math test when he was 18 and um mm-hmm. they thought he cheated on it because he scored perfect oh. on it and this was you know kind of equivalent to like an SAT math test and so mm-hmm. long story short he was in ohio they figured out that he was actually really smart and the next thing you know He's working for the federal government doing ICBM work, uh, tracking. And what this year would have that? been. Let me think about this. This would have been early 60s. I have a picture of my okay. father on the U.S. Vandenberg that got sunk off of the coast of Florida to create an artificial reef that's dated 1966. So, uh, And they used that to whoa. go off the coast of Russia to track ICBM missiles. What's ICPM? IC- ICBM? ICBM, um, intercontinental Blis- oh, ballistic, ballistic missiles. missiles. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ICBMs. And so he was doing really interesting, top secret kind of work, as a young person in his twenties, and you know, and an African American male. Sure. And then he was able to transition, and he went to work for uh, Bendix Corporation. And they had a contract with NASA. So we started off in the Gemini program and in Cape Canaveral and then ended up going to Guam from 1966 to 1970. So for four years, my mom, who's a housewife with four kids, not four kids at that time, I was me and my brother were born on Guam, Mm -hmm. but um, taking care of us while my father was working at the tracking station on Guam for the Apollo missions.
1: What? That's really wild. That's uh, that's that's really like you're, you're a special. kid and your and your dad like works for. I mean, that's I can't
0: imagine it better. Right in those early days, wow. like that's that's just incredible. Very, very right, cool. I know.
2: And so, unfortunately, my father left um, right after I think it was Apollo thirteen. He went and left and went to work for Raytheon, and I was only two months old, had just been born on Guam, and they left beautiful tropical Guam for. Snowy, wintry Minnesota. And my <laughs> life in snow began. And
0: for sure, unfamiliar. So
2: yeah, it was really interesting because he transitioned into computers and more into the computer technology world after that. But I grew up again with all of these amazing space certificates. And I actually have them now in my space room at my house.
0: Of course you have
1: a space room. Yeah, who doesn't have a space Everybody room? Everybody <laughs> needs an I need space room. Uh, that's incredible.
0: Um that is really special. Wow, that uh that just must have have been such a fascinating start to to the the career uh that that you chose and 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 moving into science communication.
2: It really was because you know growing up I I Naturally gravitated to science, my father was a big advocate and my mother of us mm-hmm. going to college because neither of them did getting mm-hmm. degrees and my father was basically choose a science to <laughs> get you know you were yeah. going to become a scientist and luckily, wow. I was already you know kind of attuned to that, but funny enough, I did want to be an astronaut when I was a kid, but more importantly, I wanted to be a military aviator. I mm-hmm. grew up looking. At, up at the sky for military aircraft. I love watching the TV show, Baba ba, Black Sheep. I mm-hmm. built model airplanes. I was a total military aviation junkie. And of course, wow. Top Gun came out when I was ah. a teenager. So right. I wanted to That's go to one. the Air Force Academy, fly the F-16, then transition to the astronaut corps and become the shuttle commander. And then I got glasses about 15 and I was even in the Civil Air Patrol. I mean, I was totally military. Wow. And then I got glasses and I knew I wasn't going to be a military aviator at that time because Mm -hmm. back in the 80s, that was just not going to happen. And it's funny because I also didn't think as a female and a minority female, even though I never saw a single female or minority female pilot. It Mm -hmm. never occurred to me that there weren't any and that I couldn't do that. And my father never, ever discouraged me. Like he took me to the model shop to buy the airplanes and he drove me to Civil Air Patrol so I could go to the meetings every week and um, bought me binoculars so I could watch planes fly by. And Mm -hmm. so my parents, both my parents were very encouraging of me just exploring that. But um, once I got glasses and the military was out, to me, so was being an astronaut because I always saw it from the military aviation side and not as a mission sure. specialist.
0: Fascinating. Wow. Fascinating. Well, yeah, now it turns out that you don't have to just go pilot, right? Uh, right. which is and, and I assume that will keep expanding. So all right. Well, that is just an incredible perspective to have. And I'm, I'm excited about the this conversation. Uh, so having first man, such big
1: dreams right yeah. off the bat, that's oh, incredible. God, that's
2: awesome. And just not even yeah. thinking that they weren't achievable. And that's what I right. find yeah, fascinating, because in my mind... That's a hell
0: of a testament to your parents. Right,
2: because I always thought, like, you know, the mission specialists were rocket scientists. They went to, you know, MIT <laughs> and Harvard. I wasn't going to be going there, but I never doubted that I could get into the Air Force Academy, fly an F-16, and become the shuttle mm-hmm. commander. So I think it's funny as a kid that... I just that's what I thought I would be doing,
0: yeah, that's amazing well, well, well and and especially with no visible uh role models like you right uh, yeah, d- that's a despite, big deal. I mean it's one thing any kid can grow up and, and want to be a pilot or want to be a space shuttle, but to have such an intimate daily interaction with the agency itself right. and with those with the machinations Jeez. of it. And to still not see those, of course, because it was the '60s. Not that it's a huge, yeah. hugely better now, yeah. but still, even then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is is really inspiring. That's awesome. So, I mean, that's incredible because we we talk about the first man stuff. Like you said, that with the way that timing lined up, it, it is a really good take on the end of Gemini, the Mercury, especially the Apollo years. So they started picking the first astronauts in '59, mm-hmm. right? And they had to have that flight experience in jet aircraft. Uh, background in engineering, they had to be had to have the great eyesight. They had to be shorter than five feet eleven, so oh, that you could fit in the Mercury I spacecraft. Go. Yep, Brian, you're out no. for so many reasons. So many reasons. <laughs> and at least at that time, and for a long time, you had to be a white guy. Yep, right? it was pretty standardized. <laughs> yeah, sh- shocking. So here is NASA's existing astronaut admission protocol per their website. Astronaut requirements have changed with NASA's goals and missions. A pilot's license and engineering experience is still one route a person could take to becoming an astronaut, but it's no longer the only one. Today, to be considered for an astronaut position, U.S. citizens must meet the following qualifications. a Bachelor's degree in engineering, biological science, physical science, computer science, or mathematics. Number two, at least three years of related professional experience obtained after degree completion or... At least 1,000 hours pilot-in-command time on jet aircraft. Number three, the ability to pass the NASA long-duration astronaut physical. Distant and near-visual acuity must be correctable to 2020 for each eye. The use of glasses is acceptable. This is wild. 25 years too late.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say that NASA's always kind of been progressive in the glasses area. It was the military that took uh, a while yeah. so if uh, you were going to oh, be a military okay. aviator then you needed to sure. have uh good eyesight but now even the military will take correct it.
0: fascinating so and... with
1: these sort of updated uh like requirements there's actually a lot of people that are probably eligible
2: absolutely and that's why every time nasa puts out a call for astronauts now you get not it used to be you know, a couple thousand people. Now you're getting up to 18,000 people applying. Right. I think that was the number for the last call.
0: Right. And that's, that's actually, it's interesting. I actually pulled those. So it said there were 8,000 in 1978 applications. It went down to 6,100 in 2012. Wow. Bam, 2016, the last number I could find. Yes, it was 18,000, which is interesting. I, from what I I 18, remember seeing 000. this, that was sh- shortly after the Martian came out. Right. And, the movie, and, yeah, and I think they said that that was actually a big boost, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, the, there's a board at NASA. They take those applications, they assess each candidate's qualifications. There's a now there's a bit of a waterfall. The board then invites about 120 of the most highly qualified wow. candidates to NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston for interviews. From that's my math, that's tiny. about <laughs> zero point zero zero six percent ish right wow to be clear i'm not an astronaut i don't have <laughs> any of those degrees i'm a liberal arts major i can tell you that i can ask philosophical questions about those numbers so of those interviewed about half are invited back for a second round so 60 so or so 60 and then once the final ones are selected they have to complete a two-year training period at um starfleet academy yeah, basically. <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> that's and it in god. a nutshell god wouldn't that be amazing um yeah
2: Well, what I was going to say is what's interesting from my story is that, you know, I kind of gave up on that dream at 16, not even Mm -hmm. knowing what the astronaut selection process was or the criteria. Never even looked it up because I was no longer going to be a military aviator. So it didn't matter in my brain. So I just went off and lived my life. I, you know, got my degrees and I, I'm being a geo explorer. I got, My pilot's Mm -hmm. license, because I always wanted to learn how to fly. I got SCUBA Mm -hmm. certified. I traveled and taught around the world. And then one day in my late 30s, so literally like 25 years later, a friend sends me an email that says, NASA's looking for astronauts, you should apply. And that's how I found out. What an email to get. That's (laughs) That's I feel like we we all, <laughs> how I we just found had out. another
1: guest who had a situation like that where like basically it was just like mm, I mean this would be cool but but whatever and then randomly gets like a card from a friend like oh no you should uh, apply to work at NASA. Right. Right.
2: And it's funny that they thought of me. Yeah. But I think because wow. I of my who I am and my personality and my lifestyle and the things that I was projecting, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why they said Hey, when I saw the astronaut selection, you know, uh, notice my Mm -hmm. I popped into their head, and luckily for me, they forwarded it on to me.
0: (sighs) Okay, so what was this process like?
2: Well, I I mean, when I first got the email, I pretty much kind of laughed out loud because you know I'm like, uh, but then I applied because I looked at the requirements. I didn't even know that it was basically they posted on USA jobs, like you know, the dog the, the. dub jobs right. for the federal government. So it's just it's a job you apply Wanted for. Astronauts. Right. right. And so <laughs> I filled out the forms and I sent it in thinking, yeah, you know, I've got a lot of the qualifications, but realistically, uh, I was thinking the chances of them selecting me are gonna be slim to none, but I'm glad I applied. And then I found out that I made the 450 and then the 110. And that was a real shocker when they're like, yeah, we'd like to invite you down to Johnson Space Center for three Ah. days. uh, And we're going to have you interview and meet other candidates and astronauts. And I was like, "Okay." And the biggest... (laughs) biggest form of imposter syndrome exploded oh for me, of course. I can't even
0: imagine. Oh. I can't even imagine. I mean, talk about Emperor has no clothes feeling.
2: Right? I yeah.
0: Could you could you just back up and tell us real quick what each of those moments, like making each of those cuts, what what were you doing, what that felt like? Because that has to just be incredible.
2: Well, it's like your childhood dream is being revisited, right? Mm-hmm. Because you had given up on this, not even thought about it for such a long time, and then suddenly You're getting a, you know, a class two flight medical because (sighs) NASA determined you're in the top 450 and they wanted you to get your preliminary screening done. And then you send that in. And then literally I was walking across campus when my boss at the time stops me and she says, hey. There is somebody from NASA who's been calling about you, and his name is Melvin, Leland, Leland, Melvin. Mm-hmm. And I literally said, You mean Leland Melvin, the astronaut? <laughs> and she said, she said, Oh, I better get back to him then.
1: Oh, you know? and
2: that's basically when I found out that they were seriously considering me for an interview. And <sighs> I thought, and I thought to myself, I thought, you know, one, what an wait, an astronaut's calling about me? Right. Wait a second. So it was really cool, but surreal at the same time, because again, I think a lot of women of color suffer from imposter syndrome, especially when you're the sure. first and you're, you're, your role models are limited. And being a community college professor in South Phoenix, again, in my mind, I'm thinking the non-pilot astronauts are all these amazing people who are truly rocket scientists. Sure. And I really had to work my way through and not have really fun conversations with the voice inside my head Uh. about why I belonged and how awesome and cool this was that I was going to Johnson Space Center.
0: Okay, so talk to us about the the flight down to johnson space oh, center God. and and your experience i mean how are you just not like exploding of excitement I,
1: <laughs> you are exploding
2: but also the butterflies in your stomach yeah, yeah. because you have no idea i mean you're going you know it's it's the right stuff kind of thing sure. it's the the top of the top and you land and they bring you in groups of 10 and you know the first thing people ask you in any high power group is what do you do And there were the fighter pilots and there were the doctors and there were the, well, Harvard, MIT professors. And then they ask you and you say, well, I'm a community college professor in Phoenix, Arizona. And I think people have this perception of, you know, well, community college, what exactly does that mean? Because mm-hmm. you're not K through 12, mm-hmm. so you're not, or high school. And I think people understood that NASA had a teacher in space program and that they had taken some teachers. Mm-hmm. But I think that they also were kind of like community college, huh? So you're not at the university. Mm-hmm. What is that? And, and how did you end up here if you're community college? And I got to hand it to Mm. NASA and I think Leland Melvin, um, the astronaut, because he was very into education for recognizing that the community college is a vital source for educating our citizens in the United States and that the faculty Mm -hmm. and staff and the and the students from the community college are all are amazing and that mm-hmm. you can have people that are at the community college doing amazing things.
0: And, and oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, that just must have been incredible. And at the same time, like you said, the, the imposter syndrome, just just from that, haven't thought about that. Oh, also, you're a, a woman of color. Right. I mean, so so, what was the process then and, and sort of how everything ended up there? Can you tell us how that worked through?
2: Yeah, so I showed up and there were again, we're in groups of generally 10, but we had 11. Um, Another person was added in. And then you go for either Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so you had one group of 10 uh, at the beginning of the week and the other group of 10 at the end of the week, and you crossed over on Wednesday. So at Mm -hmm. one time, there's anywhere from, you know, 18 to 21 of you in this kind of cohort that NASA is wooing. (laughs) And they have a social event where na- astronauts come and you get to kind of talk to them on that Wednesday and you the the most intimidating part is going in for the interview of course because it's not a one-on-one interview it's you and basically the NASA selection committee mm-hmm. which is i think it was it was definitely over 10 people it was a nice big
1: Not intimidating at all.
2: (laughs) And you kind of sit in there and you're like, okay, who's who (laughs) like and and you're just so nervous going into that interview. And but you're also excited and you're, you know, for me, I think part of the thing with having the imposter syndrome is you can't believe that you're there anyway. So you're just going to enjoy it until they kick you out. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so you're just like, well, I'm not going to get any further than this. Right. So I might as well enjoy every minute. Sure. And I was blogging at the time. I had my own website and I was kind of doing these blogs. And I just remember I had gone up to the astronaut area where they had Uh, the offices for the astronauts and I'm in the hallway and I did this video where I blog about, hey, I'm up here. This is really great. Again, science communication, just sharing the experience. And and then I posted it online. And then I think the next day they called us all into this meeting room and they said there will be no videos taken up in the, and I'm kind of shrinking in my chair, like up in the astronaut office area. I'm like, ooh, my bad. They didn't call me out by name, but I was like, well, you know, (laughs) right. So to me, it it was, again, about the science communication, enjoying the experience and really kind of thinking when when are they sending me home? Because this is so, so amazing. Do I really belong and kind of battling with that?
1: Wow. Wow. (laughs)
2: And then you actually do go home, and the funny thing is, you go home and you wait. you wait to find yeah. out if you're going to be one of the finalists. Are they going to call you back? Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is a really long process. I mean, I put in my application. They would do July of 2008. I think I found out that I was highly qualified, probably around August, I want to say, of 2008. I didn't get. I found I knew I was interviewing, I want to say in November, no, December probably is when I figured I was going into the 110 because I remember going away for Christmas break. And thinking I can't injure myself because I have my, my, I was (laughs) going to be an astronaut. (laughs) Yeah, I was literally backpacking through Central America. And I remember going whitewater rafting and I kind of tweaked my knee and I thought, oh, no, this is it. I'm not going to be able to go and have become an astronaut if I mess myself up. And so then I had my interview for the 110. I want to say it was in January, the end of January. And then I went home and I waited. And it's funny because, you know, you start hearing that NASA is picking, you know, slots are filling up and in that and soon it's getting to the point where they're not going to have any more slots left. And then your phone rings one day. And it's so funny because I remember it like it was yesterday because it was early morning and my mom is the only one who calls me early in the morning. So I thought it was her. Just I didn't expected even... expected it
1: to be her. Right.
2: Yeah. And I answered the phone and they say, you know, this is NASA Johnson Space Center. And I just remembered going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, are you sure? And she's like, yes. And inviting me to come back for a full week to Johnson Space Center because I was now going to be a finalist. And again, I couldn't believe when, it. When
1: was that? When did you get that call? Oh,
2: boy. Um... I know you're you waiting since it January. Was, it was around my birthday because um and it was funny i turning 39 and and then I went in April so it was really close to the end of March.
1: Yeah, a couple months of waiting every I mean, time the phone rings thinking maybe I, maybe.
0: I just keep stepping back to you giving up this dream at 16 and saying if you could have told your 16-year-old self, "Hey, yeah. on your around your 39th birthday, you're going to have <laughs> you're going to have passed four thresholds at NASA, Jesus. and they're inviting you not just down, but back. Like, right. What? And by the way, you're not a pilot. Uh You nope. know, like, what? Oh, God, the conversation the two of you could have had. So, please continue.
2: I want to say that the, the and what I would have told myself is, just live your life because you're doing okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, and I think that that's the thing. A lot of people, I did not live my life to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And yet, I was I got down to the less than 1% mm-hmm. in the selection process. And I think that that's an important message to for uh, kids aspiring to go to space to understand is that be true to yourself, be yourself, go out and explore, have your adventures and stuff and be happy in what you're doing, because that's what NASA is really looking for is well-rounded individuals mm-hmm. that are smart and science, scientists, but also well-rounded and you know, doing their thing. Mm-hmm. I went home. I, I mean, I went to for an, a full week, and they there was seven of us total that they brought in, and one of them was another teacher, which was great because she she was a high school, I think, high school teacher, and so it was me, her, um, a couple of fighter fighter pilots, a uh, medical doctor, and a scientist. Um, I think out of MIT. And so the seven of us came together for a week and we just had a an amazing bonding experience. We were the last seven wow. of the 47 selected finalists. So we were the last ones called in. And so we are the ones who we didn't think we were going to get the call. Like we mm-hmm. were basically, oh, NASA has selected all their finalists. We're not going to sure. get selected. And then the phone rings and we're like, what? OK, <sighs> we'll be there. <laughs> and and you're there for a week and and you're just bonding together as you go through all the medical tests because now you not only do you have to interview again and all of that but you the big thing is the medical mm-hmm. because you can be medically disqualified right. if they find something wrong with you and you don't know i mean they literally test every inch of your body mm-hmm. To find whatever could possibly knock you out. They are trying to eliminate you sure. <laughs> for some weird thing that you might have hidden in your genes and right. you don't even know.
0: Right. Lots of people go to the doctor, but not like this. <laughs> no,
2: definitely not like this, right? The brain scan, the, you know, drawing the blood, the sure. uh, body scan, right. just everything. I had multiple eye exams because I had had LASIK in my mm-hmm. 30s. Mm-hmm. And so that was to hear them. The lady said, whoever did your LASIK did a fantastic job. (laughs) And I'm like, it was worth every penny. I paid for that fantastic (laughs) job. (laughs) (laughs) And then just again, talking to astronauts and really figuring out that if they do choose you, do you really? is this a job you really want to do? Sure. And I felt very fortunate because I got to speak to um, female astronauts. I got to speak to um, black female astronauts. I got to really get into what would it be like to have this job.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you go home and you wait again. Hey, guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts, and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. You were in a group of seven and it was 47, 47 folks total, you said? 47
2: finalists.
0: And then how many were they picking?
2: Well, we didn't know. And that was the uh. thing. And so there was but they're rumors. they're not
0: picking 47. Right? No.
2: And there was rumors that they were going to pick anywhere from nine to maybe 15. And <sighs> take, keep in mind that this is the first astronaut selection class that they specifically advertised For the ISS, the International Space Station only, and not the shuttle, because they knew the shuttle was going to be Mm, retired, the shuttle program, and that anybody selected in this round would not fly on the shuttle. So there was a lot of question about how many astronauts would they actually need. Um, And because with the shuttle retiring, you know, the shuttle was a real workhorse. I mean, they were sending the shuttles up all the time and they were picking astronaut classes, you know. Anywhere, some of them were up to 47, I think, in the mm-hmm. 90s. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about the International Space Station, you're talking about a few limited spots for Americans. And, sure. you know, and if the people going up are staying up there for six months or a year, then sure. the rotation becomes a lot longer. And and so we didn't know. and And you didn't know until they chose. And one day... And for me, this would have been July, I believe. Um, So it was a full year. I was at Goddard Space Flight Center doing a summer kind of visiting professor internship when Mm -hmm. my phone rang. And actually, I should say texts started coming out because we were the final seven. We thought that at least one of us would get selected. And Mm -hmm. what was interesting is the rumor was that if a male calls you, it was going to be a no. But if a female called, then it was a yes.
0: Because huh. how um, did that rumor yeah. start?
2: Um, well just because Peggy was the was the selection head of the astronaut selection corps at that time. And and so she was going to be the one who is going to, you know, call all the yeses. Deliver all
1: the good news. Yeah. yeah. Right. So
2: uh, Peggy Whitson, who's a very famous mm-hmm. female astronaut. Mm-hmm. And so she was the head. And so people just kind of speculated that she would call with the yeses and that Dwayne, I can't remember Dwayne's last name, but he was the head of the astronaut selection office and that he would call and, and give you the no's. And so it was really interesting because out of the seven, we were really close. So the texts started coming in and it was basically, you know, NASA's calling today. Mine was a no. And then the next person, mine was a no. And then the next person, mine was a no. And it just kind of went through that whole day of my friends saying how they weren't selected. And then me just waiting for that phone to ring. And it rang. And... (laughs) it was a, first of all, it was a female voice.
1: So right off off, off the bat, you're like, oh, baby.
2: I know. So imagine the first thing I'm like, hello. And it's a female voice and saying, hi, is this Cyan Proctor? And I was like, (laughs) and then she says, this is Sunita Williams. And I just want to say that I'm sorry, but um, you were not selected. Mm. And then the breath kind of goes out of you. And you're like, uh, okay, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was heartbreaking at the time because mm-hmm. even though I had imposter syndrome and I didn't, you know, it was like, will they select me? Will they not select me? It was my childhood dream within my grasp. And at that moment, hearing that no, feeling it just slip away. And this whole idea of going from ordinary to extraordinary in pretty much a phone call, right? Sure. And so I remember just getting the, the, that phone call and just breaking down. And it's funny because my best friend happened to be in D.C. also. She was doing a internship at the National Institute of Health. And so I called her and she immediately came over and got me at Goddard and um, and just kind of, you know, helped me work through this whole idea of not being selected. And, yeah. you know, the, the talk of this podcast is, you know, what's next, you know, when you're not selected. Yeah. It's a really interesting, growing transition that you kind of go through. And as hard as it was, It helped me be a better person. The Mm -hmm. experience I had going through the selection process, it helped me recognize imposter syndrome. Um, Mm -hmm. It helped me kind of go through these conversations in my head to make me better, stronger, more resilient. Right after getting the no, I basically told myself that the reason why was because I needed to be better. I wasn't mm-hmm. the best I could be. I enrolled into a master's program in space studies. I was going to go and get my advanced scuba. I was going to get my commercial pilot's license and I, you know, for months afterwards, I was riddled with this anxiety about making myself better so that the next hmm. time I would be ready for NASA. I had to stop myself and say This is crazy. I was just I needed to celebrate the fact that I just made it to the top one percent of the NASA astronaut selection process and that I was actually qualified and that the reason why they selected me could have been any kind of reason from crew cohesion or what they needed to who knows. But that I was good and that you belonged in that group and I belonged in that group and that I am you know, doing things and I am having this amazing life and that I didn't need to turn upside down um, Mm -hmm. to fit this idea of what I thought an astronaut needed to be in order to be selected. And it's funny because so I just dropped all of that and I what was next? I went on a reality TV show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Right.
2: And so that's what I did I went and so in two thousand nine, I was almost an astronaut and in two thousand and ten, I was on a an apocalyptic build show called the Colony on the Discovery Channel oh, I
1: definitely watched the colony I remember that
2: right I was in season two, which was in wow. um New Orleans okay where we spent you know two months shooting sure. and it was a complete opposite change and <laughs> And it was good for me to get kind of have the this completely opposite experience and
0: move forward. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That is that's an incredible story. Life is full of crazy experiences, isn't it? It It really is. (laughs) is. And how that defines you. I guess I'm curious. Did you ever feel have you thought in the in the years since that either positively to advance you through that process or negatively? in not being chosen, that your gender and or race played into it in any way?
2: No, you know, that's interesting. OK, so out of the 47, there were two black females and mm-hmm. there NASA did not have a lot left in the astronaut corps. So there was a lot of speculation that one of us was going to be selected. So I felt like mm-hmm. I had a 50-50 shot. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and indeed one was selected. And so, in, in complete rock star. So I, I felt like I had maybe an even better chance than some of the other females because there wasn't a large number of women of color to choose from. And that's where I would love to see the, the, you know, those numbers change is that we just get more women of color applying to be astronauts that that they don't let imposter sure. syndrome or, you know, will they select me kind of hinder that. I, I love the mm-hmm. fact that we're getting more equal, equal in gender. You know, when you look at the selection mm-hmm. process, you know, 50, 50, almost, you know, male to female and that mm-hmm. we're getting where we're not so heavy on the military side. So in 2009, mm-hmm they chose 9 of the 47 so it was a really low selection number sure and i i can't remember off the top of my head but a large percentage of them were military and i think that nasa is is definitely diversifying and but i'd like to see that more i'd like to see it where sure. you know they choose let's say they choose 10 people and my goodness 3 of them are you know women of color instead of one, you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and that whole idea right. of of it being that whoever's the best out of the selection pool, but also keeping in mind that diversity is important and yes and,
0: yes, and and I was just gonna say, and and not just for representation, I mean you know but purely for uh you know there are particular issues that women face in space that right. men don't right uh you know and and we. Uh, are only starting to grasp the things that we don't know at this point. I mean, you talked about the the longer trips going going out to Mars and 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 further one day. I mean, we have s- so much that we don't know, and 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 you're not going to know unless you put women in space, right.
2: and 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 you, and you diversify the um the people that are involved in both the selection sure. and and going, so that you sure. just kind of get all of these voices and this whole idea that space is for everyone. And I think that we we don't have that yet, but it's something to strive for that where everybody around the world really believes that space is for everyone. And, you know, since then, I've been fortunate because I've been able to still continue my passion for space and space exploration because I've become an analog astronaut.
0: Yeah, yeah, just so, going to So Brian wants to know what Analog Astronaut is. I just a, didn't I just that. didn't tell him. Yeah. <laughs> Pur-
1: well, purposely. So, and I'm very interested.
2: You know, I have really fun friends because they recommend me for all kinds of things. Um, <laughs> I got a Facebook post one day that said, you know, you love food and you love space. NASA's looking for people to live in this, you know, bubble in Hawaii and you should apply. What? And it was a call to participate in this program called High Seas, which was a new
0: mm-hmm.
2: analog site. An analog site is a place that is moon-like or Mars-like in its terrain, and people can go and... Naturally,
1: or it's made that way?
2: Naturally. So okay. so, and that's an analog site. But an analog mission is any place. It can be any place that's set up where you have people who are researching... Uh, and advancing human spaceflight. So mm-hmm. there's an analog site at Johnson Space Center, where they basically lock you into a simulation for a certain amount of time. But then there's these are analog sites that are out around the world that have characteristics that are or terrains that are Mars or Moon-like. So I mean, Antarctica can be considered an anal- analog site because of okay, the harsh okay. environment and The the weather being cold and things like that. And then in the Big Island of Hawaii, being volcanically active, there's a lot of locations where you just don't have vegetation and it's volcanic. Mm -hmm. So it's Mars like. And Mm -hmm. this was a new analog site on the Big Island of Hawaii at eight thousand feet on the slopes of Mauna Loa. And they were looking for six people to go live in this simulation for four months. And it was specifically to research food strategies for long duration space flight. And so hmm. this whole idea that- That's so cool. Right? So you get to go cook in a Mars yeah. simulation. And the idea is that, you know, if when we do have people living on moon or Mars, we're gonna have to feed them until they can actually grow food and stuff like that. And so NASA is really interested in what is the bang for your buck if you're going to have astronauts creatively cook and using freeze-dried ingredients such as freeze-dried fruits, meats, and vegetables. And so we were brought in to investigate that question along with some other things like crew cohesion. How do you pick Mm -hmm. a good crew so that they don't kill each other on the way to Mars. Right, right. (laughs) You know? And so I went and I lived for four months in the high seas habitat. Before we went into the habitat, we got to go to the Mars Desert Research Station for two weeks to kind of work out some of the kinks. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: then this past summer I spent two weeks in the Lunaris Moon simulation in Pila, Poland. And so what's interesting about these analog sites is they're popping up around the world. Because small nations are realizing that they can get into the space game by sure. creating a an, an analog location and having people live in these simulations to help advance human space flight.
0: Sure. They and have it, something to offer without, right. you know, without going to space.
2: Right. And so it's, it's opened up a whole new set of what we call astronauts. And they're called analog astronauts. And it's for people who really want to be engaged in space. But, you know, NASA only calls for astronauts, what, every three, four, five years? And they, the selection, nine, 10, 15 right. at the most. Right. So your chances of being able to participate are low. And now it's opening up because of all of these analog sites around the world. And it's, it's a great time for anybody who wants, who's interested in space. Advancing advancing human space flight. Lots of opportunities besides being selected for the NASA astronaut corps.
0: All right. So that sounds like a perfect moment to ask what. So considering both uh, NASA, which you don't have to be. Uh, first of all, you don't have to be a pilot anymore. You don't even have to just be an astronaut. Also, there's mm-hmm. there there's there's commercial uh, space as well. Right. Um, That's correct. But then there's also things like analog astronauts. So. Uh, most importantly, what can what can we do to help? And what can people do to help themselves to get to get more, I mean, frankly, women and people of color into these various programs that are, you know, theoretically available to them?
2: Well, I think knowledge is power. So one of the things is spreading the word. That's one of the reasons why I started the website, analogastronauts.com,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, is so that people can they can go there and find out about what is an analog astronaut, where are the sites, and where is the training? And so mm-hmm. we try to keep the current training options because there's places where you can actually go live in a simulation, or you can go and get training in like high high altitude stuff and mm-hmm. centrifuges and all of these really interesting things that you'd need to be able to experience as an astronaut. And so I think that's one way is just awareness. And when you hear somebody who says, hey, I want to be an astronaut, then you say, well, hey, there's a lot of training opportunity out there for you now. You should check out this because I feel like this is the the first gate into things. Um, I know that there's a lot of people sure. in high school and especially when they get into the university, you can be an analog astronaut before you get your science degree from your undergrad sure sure so you can go live in one of these simulations and begin so the requirements
1: are a little looser
2: it is and uh, basically they're looking for people who are scientists but also artists too sure yeah. um to go and live in these simulations and communication mass media sure. right. so it's it's even broader
0: uh, right. so so specifically on your website, uh, is are there links to these programs and how people can apply for them and access them? Yep.
2: And so when they go to, um, it's www.analogastronaut.com. You awesome. might have to put the HTTP in front of it. I did not um, have
1: to when I just put it in my browser. Awesome.
2: And you can click on, and so when you go to the website, the first thing I want to point out is that we talk about the Mercury 13, which mm-hmm. were the women who were selected to go through the same training as the men during the Mercury program, but never got to fly. In my mind, they were really the first analog astronauts because they got to train to, they trained to help advance human spaceflight without leaving Earth. Mm -hmm. And then you can click on the analog locations, which gives you the latest locations around the world with links to all of those locations. And these are places you would go and live in a simulation. And then you can click on analog training, astronaut training, and it's a list of all of the current ways that you can engage in this type of training or advancement of human spaceflight, along with the links to their individual web pages. So cool. Yes. And then we have a Facebook group that we'd like to you know, post interesting things about. And right now, I, I'm proud to say that this website is run by three females.
0: And awesome. That, oh, yes. And
2: there's me, um, an African American female. There's Jahira, who is Hispanic and was born and raised in Puerto Rico. And then mm-hmm. there's um, Andrea, who was born in Romania and lives in Canada now. And she's uh, these are amazing women. And so our goal, the reason why the three of it. we came together, is because we wanted to promote more women and women of color to think about space and space exploration.
0: So I I think you made an important point earlier, and it sounds like you guys are trying to do this yourselves in some way as as well. So awareness is key, getting people, and you've built this amazing website with, it is the hub of the place you need to go to find out about these programs, aside from applying for a job at SpaceX or NASA, whatever it might be. So what can we do to help make it so these folks are actually now chosen and successful in said programs that starts to sound like more of conversations with either our elected representatives who might serve on technology committees or talk contacting these organizations them, themselves, you know, cause we want to make sure we're not just, you know, sending them to slaughter. It's like, right. how do we make it aware that, Hey, we're watching. And we know you keep picking white guys.
2: And I, I think that that's the, what well, the first thing is, Number one, always vote <laughs> when there is an election, Jesus, be vote. engaged uh. and vote um, and not only vote, but vote for people who are pro-science. We are in this age of anti-science, fake news, nothing's real. But no, there is so real strange. news and real science. I never in my life would have thought I would have had to march for science. <sighs> and in that, even when I say that, it mind, it's mind boggling. But to... Support representatives that understand and want to support science and scientific Mm -hmm. initiatives that Mm -hmm. that move us forward in a positive way. And I'm talking space exploration. A good friend of mine, Mike Mongo, is his name. I remember the day he said it. He said, "Uh, "If we solve for space, we solve for Earth." And I have been using that as my mantra. That's really good. If we solve for space, we solve for Earth. And I mean this in that when we are looking at survival in space, you're talking about water, air, Mm -hmm. food, shelter. (laughs) Those are the big four. Well, those are the things that we need to survive in space, but they're also the things that we need to thrive here on Earth. So as we become more efficient with water, energy, food, um, shelter in space, Mm -hmm. all that technology comes back to Earth. And we use it to make us be more successful and to be able to thrive here on Earth. And I think a lot of people miss that connection, that space allows us to be more efficient and space exploration and technology allows us to be more efficient and successful here on Earth.
0: I, I, I love that. And it is true. I mean, there's always examples everybody uses of of, oh, by the way, uh, you wouldn't have your fancy iPhone without the space shuttle. Right. right. Um, but, but it is true. Um, it, it really is true. These things will continue to come back to us as long as we start with basic science funding and then we start keep going with NASA funding, and then eventually right. these things do come back to us. It's really, they do come back to us.
1: It's very good to know and say out loud because I feel like a lot of times when we're sharing uh, in you know stuff on, in our newsletter or on our podcast about uh, space exploration or any sort of advancement, a lot of times we get people that are like, you know, what do you why spend money on that? Why are we putting money and in, in time into space uh, as if it's not connected to here? Right. right. It is. Uh, yeah. It is
2: intimately connected. Right. And right. what's interesting is that, you know, again, I I think that the whole idea of pushing human survival to its limits Just we learn so much and that's why we do it. And so you can imagine when we actually, you know, we have the ISS, but what about when we get the colony on the moon and then the colony on Mars and what we will learn and how efficient we have to be in order to survive in these non-habitable spaces will ultimately make us so much better on Earth. And so it's not about leaving Earth. It's about being right. able to take what we learn from these extreme exploration locations and then apply that technology at, back to Earth.
0: And, and like you said, and, and we'll start to wrap it up here, it's not just the technical things we learn. It's not just learning to be more efficient. It's learning who you are and what you're made of. Yep. I've had a lot of talks with my five-year-old recently about why we do hard things, right? but it's also a, a gaining, and, and everybody who's been in space has said this, and they haven't even lived on the moon or Mars, but they sure have been through it. Nothing like being stuck in a capsule where something's going wrong, <laughs> but mm-hmm. imagine you're in one of, those, one of those colonies, and you come back, and suddenly you have a sense of appreciation for yes. what you do have here and why we need to take care of this. It's not just being in a capsule and looking back at the blue marble. It's, it's the fact that, uh, you know, you, you cannot, it's not like, oh, uh, Mars is going to be hard to habitate. You cannot. We, <laughs> everything is artificial. Everything is extremely right. limited. And there is one place we know of <laughs> where, where these things are native. And we have, we have just laid wreck to this thing yeah right and, and and having that sense of appreciation is is so vital and and that's where I think people like you and, and your commitment to scientific communication and education is so vital so I, I do want to ask you this before we start to wrap up dr Proctor A- after all of these incredible experiences in the back of the forth and your life being dream being being sent to you in an email again do you want to be <laughs> an astronaut out of nowhere and then and then that not working out and then pivoting Do you feel like you're on the right path now, personally?
2: Absolutely. I'm so happy with the things that I have been able to do and finding, you know, people always think that your career and your path is linear and it's not. There are zigs and zags and every zig and zag has made me a better person, more resilient. And I can honestly say that, I'm really happy with all of the things that I've been able to do, particularly I know that my calling is to be a science communicator and to just inspire the next generation to explore our world and beyond and to take on tough questions and tough challenges and be solution-based and figure out ways for not only ourselves as individual, but humanity to move forward in a positive way.
0: I love it. Well, you've, we're, we're definitely not the next generation, but you've inspired the hell out of us. And we're going to oh, try yeah. to pass it <laughs> on to all the young, Every
2: generation, all the you young, young
0: to spunky, <laughs> young people with all the hope in their eyes that listen to us for whatever reason. But also,
2: you know, I like the idea of getting to the older generation, the people who have money. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, where are you going to put your money and what are you going to do with it and mm-hmm. how do you, um, support these causes. And so I think that that's important too.
0: Yeah. And, and by the way, as much as we talk about as, it, is important to have a, you know, liberal arts major nerds like me, uh, or others, uh, on Mars, you know, there's a huge dearth of, of, of young people of color, especially girls, uh, who might want to pursue STEM stuff, um, and organizations like girls who code or black girls right. code are wonderful organizations right. that you can contribute to that I, I, I personally do and will continue to they' they're great places absolutely all right Brian let's so awesome. uh let's let's take it home here brother let's wrap this thing
1: up um this has seriously been so fantastic and uh can't think of a uh more interesting topic that I would want to talk about so thank you very <laughs> yeah. much for being here
0: <laughs> yeah thank you ab- absolutely we we've got a little bit of a lightning round yeah. uh that we ask everybody uh Doctor, some, some of them are dr Proctor. Uh, okay Brian um Doctor, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful?
2: Undergraduate, I realized that I controlled my destiny when I went off to college for the first time. And that was empowering, especially since I was the only Black female in my program. And I didn't have a single Black female science professor in my entire college career. We're talking undergrad, master's, and PhD.
1: Wow. wow. I love it. Doctor, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months?
0: Ooh, good question. <laughs> and as always, you cannot say Brian. Yes. No. But thank I, you for thinking I, of me.
2: My husband. My husband. Pretty good answer. Yeah, because he supports me. Like when I met him, I literally said well, I'm going to go off and live in a Mars simulation for four <laughs> months, and I'll see you when I get back out. You know, um, and he has stuck with me through all of the analog simulations. This past this past summer, we were in Switzerland. I was at CERN giving a talk on how to feed an astronaut, wow. and uh, and I met a the lady who was going to Pila, Poland, she was going to be the commander of this mission. And she turned to me and said, we have an opening. We need somebody, but it's next week. And I literally Whoa. turned to my husband and said, "Um, I might just stay in Europe and go to Pila, Poland and live in this simulation. And he said, <laughs> oh, of course oh you will. <laughs> you know, I'll see you when you get home.
0: Oh, uh, that's awesome. So that's amazing. my
2: husband is so supportive of, all of the things that I want to do. And I love him for that.
0: Oh, that is that is special. That's very something cool. we can all try to aspire to. We have,
1: we're going to have to, be talk, supportive. to uh, talk to you another time about space food. Also very interesting.
2: Yes. Yeah. And I'm, um, <laughs> I'm going to live on a ship for two months next summer called the Joyous Resolution. So going to see. Of course you are.
0: <laughs> I
1: love it. Yeah. Amazing. Um, all right. Um, what do you do, Cyan, when you feel overwhelmed?
2: Oh, when I feel overwhelmed, specifically I, give it to us. I like to watch cheesy movies that are either romantic comedies or um sci fi fantasy. Well,
0: you uh-huh. got to name titles now. Yeah, you gotta go so give that, us. Okay. Give us your three go to say. Oh,
2: Harry Potter,
0: Sure. I wait, wait, Harry wait. Is that cheesy? Uh, um,
2: yeah, Twilight series.
0: I yeah, love the wow, Twilight wow, series wow. with go. vampires. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Um, <laughs> And I those are and then like you've got male Meg <laughs> Ryan and Tom Hanks. I mean, All day.
1: I, it's a really good one.
2: I love romantic comedies and I love fun sci-fi that is or fantasy that just makes you feel good when it's over.
1: Yeah, I love it. Awesome. I love it. How do you uh, consume the news normally?
2: I usually get news through my Twitter feed or social media. Now I worked, my first job from undergrad was working at a news station. I was a video editor for the five, six and 11 o'clock news for two years before going to grad school. And I know a skill that I use today is video editing in everything that I do, but I cannot watch the news.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> Every, so it's uh, been
2: 20 years. I'm like, I, my husband has a political science background and was a history teacher. And so he loves the news. So it's been fun being married to somebody who yeah. is, you know, a news person. And me like, oh, f- turn that yeah. off.
0: Yeah, I get I can I can see both sides of that for sure. So
2: I like I like things like I like getting I like having my Twitter feed. I like Podcasts, you know things like that. I love mm-hmm. listening to the radio and NPR when I'm driving to work. Um, those are the times when
1: I get my news. We're Trump. in the same boat. Yep. Uh, all right. One, one more. Uh, we've done a good job of not talking about this person, but if you could Amazon Prime one book to uh, our President Donald Trump, what would it be? Oh boy,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a really tough
0: question anything goes we've gotten everything from coloring books to the constitution no
2: well i think i think i would send him bill bryson's a brief history of nearly everything and the reason why because it's science um it's and i think a good science lesson on the history of science and how science works would be Mm -hmm. enlightening for him
0: agreed i love that (laughs) that's a that's a hell of an
1: answer um doctor where can we uh where can our listeners follow you on online
2: Oh, I have my an open Facebook page and I am just Cyan Proctor on it. I think I'm Dr. Okay. Cyan Proctor on Twitter. I'm again, Cyan Proctor. Uh, yeah, you can Google me. Oh, you can see me. I have a my TV show. I'm on Strange Evidence. I'm the STEM demo expert on a science channel TV show, Strange Evidence. Cool. And we season two just ended, but season three will be coming up, and so I've been on every season of that. I am. Yeah, I think those. Are, I, I also have an Instagram, Cyan Proctor. So just awesome. Google me, Cyan Proctor. You'll find love me it. all over the place.
0: I love it, boy, Doctor Proctor. This has been a special one, I think, for us. Uh, so w- we really appreciate, obviously. All that you've done and all that you continue to do and, and for making uh time for us to have this conversation today. I think people are just gonna gonna love this. I, I certainly did. I, I'm I feel inspired and lucky. So thank you. Thank you very much.
2: Well, thank you for having me on. It was a real pleasure to talk to both of you and I hope we get to meet sometime in the future.
0: Yes, yes. absolutely. Let I'm- us know if you're ever in uh in in sunny and on fire Los Angeles. I certainly will. <laughs> Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species.
1: And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. <sighs> just so weird.
0: Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys.